All right, in chapter 5 of Hosea, God sits down until Israel repents. Right? He said, I'm done, so I'm going to have a seat, going home, until y'all decide to repent. You recognize your guilt and seek my face, knowing, he says, they will search for me in their distress. In chapter 6, we see the salvific work, the work of salvation, the salvific work that God does in binding and healing and resurrecting. We see that in the first few chapters of chapter 6, then the I mean, first few verses of chapter 6, then in the following verses, the rest of the verses, we see how extensive that work is, that, that work of binding and healing and resurrecting due to the extreme nature of our sin, how it touches every part of our lives, how it has infected everything and affected everything negatively. And then that requires our repentance. Our sin requires repentance. Well, in chapter 14, and he discussed a number of things uh, between uh, chapter 6 and chapter 14. But chapter 14, we get to an incredible explanation of what repentance looks like. We find the sinner's prayer. And the sinner's prayer is an interesting uh, phenomenon. It's, a, it, it's something that, that many will argue doesn't exist in the Bible. And, and the way we do it as, as evangelicals, Baptists probably in particular, but many of us, the, we, we will say to people that want to accept Christ to pray the sinner's prayer. Well, the sinner's prayer really depends on the sinner. The sinner's prayer depends on who's leading in it. And there's a lot of pushback against a sinner's prayer, and it's understandable because if you were like me, you struggled in your teen years with the idea that maybe, am I really saved? I didn't have a Damascus Road experience. I grew up in church. I don't remember a time when we didn't go to church. Didn't, I don't remember a time we never went we never, we never didn't go to a Southern Baptist church. I, I heard the gospel preached every Sunday. Uh, an offering, uh, a, uh, an invitation rather, was offered every Sunday. I, I heard it articulated. I, I learned it in Bible school. I learned it in Sunday school. I learned it in music makers and, and uh, whatever came after music makers when, you, when we had those titled children's choirs. I, I learned it in training union. The, the gospel saturated every time we were at church, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, other activities during the week, Bible school. We were there. So at nine years old, I responded to the gospel because I'd grown up in it. Well, of course I was going to respond to the gospel. It felt like I had no option. And that's okay. If that's you, that's, that's okay. You, you responded. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to assume you only knew you know your heart, but you responded because the Holy Spirit drew you. It's okay to have been saturated in the gospel and then at some point in your childhood go, yeah, I need to do that. 
So I, I didn't go down front. I didn't walk the aisle. I, I, I was a little nervous to do that. Hadn't told my parents that this was going on in my head. So during the invitation that Sunday, I, I didn't push past them to walk down the, the aisle at State Boulevard Baptist Church in Meridian, Mississippi. But I, either on the way home or once we got home, maybe at lunch, at, probably at Shoney's with the breakfast buffet, I told them that I wanted to go down front, that I'd, I had wanted to, but I didn't want to push past them. So they called Brother Pete. Uh, Pete Evans was our pastor and said, hey, Michael wants to make a decision. And at some point, and this is where the timeline for me gets foggy. I, I don't know when it was or anything like that. At some point, I uh, went and talked to him in his office, and I remember he had uh, a glove that uh, you've seen the bracelets with the, the, the colors, the black, red, green, white. I'm getting the order wrong, I think. But um, the, the, you can share the gospel with those colors. Sometimes you use a wordless book. Well, he, he had a glove that he put on, and I remember the glove, and each, each finger was that sort of thing. The whole glove had the gospel presentation on it. We went through that, and truth be told, I don't remember praying the sinner's prayer. I'm confident I did something that morning or that afternoon whenever I was talking to him, but, but I, I don't remember that. It doesn't, that part doesn't, the glove sticks out, but the rest of it doesn't. So as a teenager, I'm going, what, what went on? And, and so I prayed that prayer, I don't know how many times as a teenager, right? Because I had to pray that prayer in order to be saved. Now, is that what I was taught? Maybe. Is that what they intended to teach me? Mm, probably not. Because that prayer doesn't save you. There's no incantation. If you say the words just the right way, then, boom, magically you're saved. It doesn't work that way. You can say the words all you want to and never be saved. You can never say those words at all and be saved. If you don't believe me, tell me the sinner's prayer that the thief on the cross prayed. Mere moments before they broke his legs so he would die. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. That's not the sinner's prayer I prayed. It was a heart of faith. So some of the pushback against this idea of a sinner's prayer is that we inadvertently or even vertently tell people if you pray a prayer, you'll be saved. No, if you repent of your sins and trust Jesus Christ for your salvation, you'll be saved. That's the gospel. And we, then we tell people, and if you want to express that some way, here's a way you can do this. We've gotten a little bit better. Now we tend to tell people, pray something like this. Well, anyway, as I said, the pushback is, is well-earned, and we, we want to be careful, but... When I read this chapter, I thought, wait a minute. Here's the sinner's prayer that people have said isn't in the Bible. The sinner's prayer in chapter 14. And this week, I forgot to put the verse on the screen. So, you can grab a Bible in front of you. should be one in the rack, uh, pew, uh, the, the Bible rack in front of you underneath the seat. Uh, if you don't have your own Bible, please take that one. Uh, we'll get more, but we want you to have a copy of God's Word. Hosea 14 is uh, 
to the right of halfway through your Bible. It's in all those names that are hard to pronounce, uh, little books. But Hosea writes, Israel, return to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled in your iniquity. And here he's saying, pray a sinner's prayer. Take words of repentance with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, forgive all our iniquity and accept what is good so that we may repay you with praise from our lips. Assyria will not save us, we will not ride on horses, and we will no longer proclaim our gods to the work of our hands. For the fatherless receives compassion in you. The sinner's prayer, right there. What's our big idea this morning? What do I want you to walk away from this message with? Here it is. Salvation and restoration are works of God alone, requiring us to turn to Him in repentance and faith. What does a sinner's prayer look like? The sinner's prayer is found in verses 1 through 3. That's uh, Hosea speaking to the people, and then verses 4 through 9, which we'll read in a few minutes, that is God promising what he will do due to their, their prayer of repentance. Well, the first thing that we see in a, in a true sinner's prayer of repentance is we find that you must recognize your sin. Verse 1, Israel, return to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled in your iniquity. There's, there's got to be a recognition there. Hosea is telling the people, return to the Lord your God. And then he tells them why. For you have stumbled in your iniquity. But for there to be any sort of returning, there must first be a recognition. It's not quite as much fun to pick on Tom now that he's not here. But it's still fun, so I'm going to do it anyway. Tom's not the greatest with directions. I always found that funny since he's an Eagle Scout. But he's not, and he admits it. And he's especially not good if he's talking while he's driving. In that case, there is no telling where you'll end up. Tom, if you ever watch this sermon, sorry, but I'm giving all the details. He was going, he had to go to Baton Rouge from Dry Creek for something. We were, I think, at children's camp, and he had to be in Baton Rouge for a few hours during the day, so uh, he, he left children's camp early, left Dry Creek early, and he got on the phone with somebody around Ragley before he gets on uh, 171 to go south to Lake Charles. Um, no, I think he was further over. Now, it was 165 he was going to. Y'all, yeah, it was probably 165 he was coming. Yeah, that's what he was doing. I'm sorry, no. Let me think about my, about my directions. He was, yeah, the details. My, grand, I, my grandfather's grandson, so I got to get the deal t details right or I can't tell the story, okay? So just bear with me. He went to 49. That's what it was. He went across to 49 and down, was going to Lafayette to go to Baton Rouge. He got on the phone somewhere 
before he got to 49 with somebody. He turned south on 49, still on the phone, and when he got to Lafayette to go to Baton Rouge, he turned right. Just talking. And he realized his error at the Cameron exit, right? Is that the one right before we get into Lake Charles coming from the east? And at that point, he said, well, I guess I'm going to the office to do some work today. And because it was too late to go on to Baton Rouge. In order to get back to Baton Rouge, he had to recognize that he had made a wrong turn. And there was something in his path that showed him that. It was a sign that said Cameron uh, Creole. That's it, right? Cameron Creole. He's like, this is not where I'm supposed to be. And here was Hosea putting the sign up for Israel to say, this is not where you're supposed to be. Now, in Tom's case, he decided, you know what? I'm already here. There is no point in going back to turn around going to Baton Rouge. I'm two hours late. It's not going to work. So he went on. Israel had that same option at this point. Doesn't matter. It's too late. I'm just going to keep going the way I'm going. But if they were going to repent, they had to recognize I am not where I'm supposed to be. And then I've got to turn around and return to the Lord. The first part of the sinner's prayer is to recognize your sin. Recognize you are not where you're supposed to be. The second thing is to repent of your sin. Verse 2. Hosea says, Take words of repentance with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, forgive all our iniquity and accept what is good so that we may repay you with praise from our lips. Recognize your sin first, then repent of your sin. Sometimes we just want to recognize it and not repent of it. Oh, I'm a sinner. Sure am. You're almost proud of it. <laughs> I'm a, ooh, I do, I've, I do, I've done some stuff. Repent of that. Recognition is not enough. The devil knows how bad he is. So just because you know how bad you are does not mean that you are now saved because I recognize I'm a sinner. Repent of that sin. Take words of repentance with you. When you recognize your sin and then you make the change in direction and you return to the Lord, bring with you those words that say, Yes, Lord, I am exactly what you say I am, a sinner, an enemy of yours because of my sinfulness. And I turn from that. I mean, that's, that's part of that recognition and repentance. Repentance means turn, right? You've heard it 10 billion times from a, from a preacher. But to repent is to turn and go the other direction. Had Tom decided, I've got to get to Baton Rouge today, he would have had to have gotten off the Cameron Creole exit, done the little loop-de-loop, -loop, gone and turned around. I mean... Thanks to the globe we live on, if he had kept going west long enough, he would eventually end up in Baton Rouge. But it would have taken a while. 
just turn around. Repent of your sin. That's the second part of the sinner's prayer. The third part of the sinner's prayer may surprise you when we put it into words, but it shouldn't when we talk about it. Relinquish your control. Verse 3. This is part of what Hosea is telling Israel to say to God. Assyria will not save us, we will not ride on horses, and we will no longer proclaim our gods to the work of our hands. Relinquish your control. You cannot save yourself. You cannot be good enough. You cannot wipe away your sin. You can't work out of your sin. You can never do enough good things to make the scale on the good side drop lower than the bad side. And even if you could, it doesn't matter because you still have the bad side. You still have sin. It doesn't wipe out the sin. At best, you think, well, I'm going to balance it out or do more good than bad, but you still got the bad, and it is the bad, it is the sin that keeps you from God. He doesn't say, do more good things than bad things. He says, repent of the bad things. Repent of your sin. Leave your sin in the past. Recognize that you are a sinner and relinquish that control over your life. Israel wanted Assyria to save them. They'd pay them all sorts of money. Assyria is going to be the one that wipes them out. But here around this time, they're going to Assyria. Well, maybe they'll be, they'll be nice and protect us from Egypt or whoever it is that's coming after us at the time. They, he tells them, go to God and say, Israel will not save us. We will not ride on horses. Your, your horses aren't going to do it. Your, your uh, uh, cavalry is not, uh, not going to do it. Your, your tanks, the, the, that, none of that is going to help you. Your gods that, I told you last week, Isaiah said you cut down a tree, you burn some of it, you make gods out of the rest of it. Makes no sense. Go to God and say, it makes no sense that we thought that these wooden idols that we made would save us. We'll not proclaim them as our gods anymore. Relinquish your control. I'm going to say this, and it's going to sound like I'm being sexist or misogynistic or something. I'm not. I think it's just our divine created order that makes us this way. Relinquishing control is harder for men than women. And now, it, some, of y'all, some of you ladies are going, mm, I don't think so. No, just, it depends on the situation, of course. But to say to a man, you can't fix it. Yes, I can. You tell, uh, normally, if I tell Etta something's broken on whatever, she, oh, I can't fix that. She knows she's not, that, that she, and she's not generally going to be the one to dive in and try to. But you tell a man, you can't fix that. Oh, he's going to show you that you're right. But he's going to prove it. He's going to take the chance. And so I believe this is harder for men than women. 
to say, I am giving up control. If you don't believe me, just look across the board at the number of men in church versus the number of women. There are almost always, is almost always, more women in church than men. Why? Talk to a man who doesn't think he needs church. Why doesn't he? It's crutch. I got this under control. I, I, I don't need, I don't need, religion is women's stuff. It, I, don't, I don't need that. I'm, I'm good. I'm, I can take care of myself. Does this sound familiar? Does this, is this, am, I, am I way off base here? No? Yes? I don't think I am. It's not comfortable, but I don't think I'm too wrong. Do you know exceptions? Sure. But generally. So I'm talking to the men this morning. Give up. Give up. You're not wonderful. You're not Mr. Wonderful. You can't fix your sin problem. You can't carry your family across the, the, the goal line in heaven by your simple and sheer strength of will. You want to carry your family to heaven? Carry them to church first. Let them follow you. As you submit to the Lord, as you recognize your sin, as you repent of your sin, as you relinquish, relinquish control, then you can carry your family, usher your family, escort your family, lead your family into the presence of the Lord. But you're not going to will them there. You're not going to strength them there, and you're not going to strength yourself there. And for all of you ladies who have a control issue, you can't either. It ain't just about the men. You will not save you. You will not ride your fancy car through the pearly gates. The works of your own hands will not get you there. And once you've prayed that sinner's prayer, once you have lifted up and, and come to the Lord with these words of repentance, the Lord speaks in verse 4. Because, at the end of 3, the fatherless receives compassion in you, Lord. And the Lord says, I will heal their apostasy. I will freely love them. For my anger will have turned from him I will be like the dew to Israel. He will blossom like the lily and take root like the cedars of Lebanon. His new branches will spread and his splendor will be like the olive trees. His fragrance like the forest of Lebanon. The people will return and live beneath his shade. They will grow grain and blossom like the vine. His renown will be like the wine of Lebanon. Once you have prayed that sinner's prayer, You've recognized your sin, you've repented of your sin, and you've relinquished your control. Then you revel in your salvation. Because that's what God is talking about here. The promise is, if we turn to the Lord, recognize, repent, and then relinquish, He will save us. That's his promise to Israel. I will save you. And he uses all of this language to describe what they would be as a country, as a people. How they would be all these wonderful things to the nations around them. 
He will be like dew to Israel, and, and they will blossom, and they'll take root, and they'll have branches that spread out, and, and, and they will be splendiferous, and the fragrance will be like Lebanon, and, and the people will come and rest in the shade of Israel if they would just repent and return to him. The problem is they don't. And he knew they weren't. The offer was there, they never took the offer. And he had not a backup plan, but the plan. And so this imagery then becomes not what Israel became, but what heaven will be. And we see what we receive when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, I will heal their apostasy, their idolatry in verse 4. Don't miss the language of that little snippet of a verse. I will heal their idolatry. We could say, I will heal their sinfulness. I, I will heal their depravity. Verse 3, we have to relinquish control. Chapter 6, he will bind, he will uh, uh, heal, he will resurrect. Why? Because we can't bind, heal, and resurrect ourselves. He will heal our idolatry, our apostasy, our depravity. Why? Because we, in verse 3, must relinquish control and understand we cannot save ourselves. I can do nothing to cleanse my own soul. I come to Jesus and I say, I am a sinner. I repent of that sin. Lord, save me. And he will. And he will do it because only he can do it. We will be freely loved. His wrath will be turned away. And then we will get to experience the refreshing of the presence of the Lord. Verses 5, 6, and 7. We, as a church of Jesus Christ, a church who follows him and preaches him, obeys him, and shares him, and trusts him, will be a shade to people who come in and want help and need healing and need their own wounds bounded and bound and need their own resurrecting in their lives. They will come here and find it because we are faithful to Jesus. We are faithful to his word. And then one day, we as the people of God will go home to be with him. And we will find refreshing and the, we will uh, receive heaven like the dew. We will blossom, we'll take root there. We will see his splendor and we will leave, live beneath his shade. This is the faith that we have to have that God's promise is true. Because when I repent and, or when I recognize and repent and relinquish, I don't get 
a heaven card. I don't get a stamp. Yesterday we were at the uh, band festival over here at Sulphur High, and you, you bought your ticket, and they stamp your hand to make sure you can get in, and if you have to leave, well, you can get back in, you don't have to pay again. I, I didn't get that when I got saved. None of y'all did either. I don't get a tattoo. I don't get anything that sticks. They didn't tag my ear. I don't get a number like the cows do out in the pasture. None of that. I, I, I got a baptismal certificate, but it could have just been that I got dumped that day. Maybe nothing happened in my heart prior to that. There's nothing that I got that says, you're in no matter what, except the Holy Spirit in my heart. And the faith that daily I wake up with that says, God promised that if I would repent and trust Jesus as my Savior, that he would save me. That's all I've got to live on, is God's promise. And you know what? It's all I need to live on, God's promise. We revel in our salvation. But God continues, in verse 8, he says, Ephraim, why should I have anything more to do with idols? It is I who answer and watch over him. I am like a flourishing pine tree. Your fruit comes from me. God asks Israel, why should I, God, have to deal with this idle business anymore with you? It's all from me. We pray our sinner's prayer. We Revel in our salvation. And in verse 8, we reaffirm our allegiance. It's, it's going to take some reaffirmation along the way. Uh, me as a teenager, I had to reaffirm my allegiance to the Lord. It was not that I was not saved. It was not that, and, and I'm not saying it's this way for you. Maybe, maybe you did just walk an aisle and you just got dumped. Lee gave us a testimony of his life a couple of weeks ago. That was not the case for me. I trusted Christ, but, but there was this moment where I had to say to the Lord, I don't, I don't want to have anything to do with these things that distract me. I had to reaffirm my allegiance. And maybe you need to do that as well. We, we call it a recommitment. Y'all, don't be scared of recommitment. We need to recommit every day. Not because we lose our salvation, but prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the one I love. That's us. We don't migrate toward God. We wander away from Him. And so daily we reaffirm our allegiance. Verse 9, Let whoever is wise understand these things, and whoever is insightful recognize them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the righteous walk in them, but the reb rebellious stumble in them. This little postscript of verse 9. Scholars will say that it was added on to this book of sermons by Hosea later, maybe when Hosea compiled his sermons, maybe when somebody else compiled them, doesn't matter. The point of this message is, or the point of this verse is to 
respond to the message. I've talked about the sinner's prayer and described it here and and told you what many of you went through when you prayed the sinner's prayer. Similar, different words, similar themes. And we've talked about reveling in the salvation that we have and uh, reaffirming our allegiance to God when those difficult days come. When prone to wander, we have wandered. But now... The writer says of the entire book of Hosea, but I believe also specifically of verses 1 through 3, respond to this message. Return to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled in your iniquity. Respond. For a believer... To respond to this message is to repent and return. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the one I love. Repent of leaving the one I love. John writes the church in Ephesus in Revelation, you've lost your first love, return to that first love. Repent and return, believer. It doesn't matter how far you've wandered. It doesn't matter the path you have taken to wander. None of that matters. Repent and return. The Lord welcomes you back every time. But not every time, Michael, not this time. Yes, this time too. But what about this time? Yep, that time too. But did you know what I did? No, I don't, but he does. And you know what he did know? He knew you were going to do that way back when you got saved. And he didn't say, well, I'm not going to save you because I know you're going to do something stupid down the road. He said, I'm going to save you, now walk with me. And when you wander, repent and return. So believer, you're not too far away. He's watching, just like the father for the prodigal. He's waiting for you to return. I love how John, I believe it's John, tells the story of Peter walking on the water. Peter's going to be all bold and brave. Ah, that's Jesus out there. If it's you, Jesus, let me come to you. Come on, boy. Steps out on the water. Got his eyes on Jesus. He's trusted Jesus, hadn't he? Say yes. He's trusted Jesus. He is standing on water. I cannot imagine what that was like. Standing on water, looking at Jesus. He has placed his faith in Jesus. I don't want to work this analogy too hard. Don't don't call the heretic police and say, do you know what Michael said? No, just, just... The waves were big. The wind was howling. The storm was great. And he started to sink. And what does the story say? As he was sinking down below the waves, Jesus meandered over, slowly got there, looked around. Now, where'd Peter go? 
I thought he was standing right here, and the, oh, that wave moved. Maybe he's over. It doesn't say all that, and y'all know it. He was going under, and instantly, Jesus was there. All he ha- I don't even know if he cried out. Y'all look it up and see. I don't think he did. I think he was washed over by the wave, and then Jesus was there. I'm sure he was yelling on the inside. Prone to wander. But when we repent and return, Jesus is there. Believer, come back to him. Don't wait till tomorrow. Why? What do you got this afternoon? Oh, I got to go do this one thing. I want to sin real quick. Now I'll come. Stupid. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to call you stupid because I know some of y'all are thinking that. Something like it. Unbeliever. Respond to the message. The prayer is yours to pray. You want to pray it like Hosea said it? Go for it. Those words aren't magic. I can read those words a million times. You can too, and they will never save you or me until the heart changes. Unbeliever, repent and realign. Remember, repentance is a 180-degree turn. It's, It's an about face. So you are realigning your life to match Christ's. Believer, you repent and return because it's a salvation you already have. It's a relationship you already have. And God is calling you to come back to your first love, to your relationship. Unbeliever, you have no relationship with God. I mean, you do, but it's the relationship of an enemy, not of a child. You are his creation, but you are not his child until you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. You repent, and then you realign your life with his. When you recognize your sin, repent of your sin, and relinquish control over your life. We are able to do that because of Jesus Christ. Because of the mercy and the grace of God the Father. Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death. That is what we deserve. I said you're an enemy of God. So much so that our sinfulness earns us death. And there is nothing we can do to get out of that. We have to relinquish control because we can't save ourselves. Salvation is a gift. Gift of God is eternal life. See, normally you don't earn the gifts you get. I mean, uh, we appreciate the appreciation gifts, and and the idea behind it is you, you appreciate us. And you're thanking us for uh, the service and the work we do. But, but the truth is, let's just be honest, some might get a gift because, well, I've, just, I've got to, supposed to. So, yeah. He didn't really do anything to earn it, but here it is. 
you do that. You, you send your child to a, a, a birthday party and, and, you know, $10 gift, and you don't know the kid or the family. It was an invitation your kid got at school. Oh, it's my best friend. I've never heard of him. Okay, fine. And you send them, and, and here's, we'll, we'll, we'll buy a $10 present. It's a gift. The child didn't do anything to earn it. He didn't cut my yard. The gift, the thing that we can't earn, the thing that no Assyria, in the case of Israel, the horses, our strength, our will, our abilities, none of that can earn is eternal life. But how? Why? Okay, it's a gift, but, but how did God choose to do it? Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. When Jesus died on the cross, he died for you. When Jesus made that cry of dereliction, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He carried the weight of every sin ever committed and that it would ever be committed on his shoulders. And he died for you and me. And we can have salvation today from our sin if we recognize our sin, repent of our sins, relinquish control, and place our faith in Jesus Christ. Can that look like a sinner's prayer? Could we pray a sinner's prayer? Yes, but if you never get to pray it, if this morning, still morning? Barely. If you, in your heart, say, God, forgive me. Lord Jesus, save me. And you died right then. No prayer, nothing. Your faith will save you. Won't you repent and return? Or repent and realign this morning? Father, thank you that you still call. Thank you that as believers, when the waves are crashing, when we have wandered as we are prone to do, and we realize our stupidity, we realize our distance from you, we realize our sinfulness, you are there. Instantaneously, you are there. God, thank you that when an unbeliever realizes their lostness and repents of that sinfulness and relinquishes control of their life and says, Lord Jesus, I trust you and only you for my salvation. God, in that instant, you save God, may we, each and every one of us, respond to the message of repentance today and pray some form of a sinner's prayer. And it may not be one that we use because, that we pray because we are experiencing salvation for the first time, but as believers, we come to you and we pray a sinner's prayer. Lord, I have failed you and I repent. 
But Lord, I pray that heaven rejoices this morning because one soul hears this message and repents and believes in Jesus Christ for salvation. Realigns their life. Becomes a disciple and then is discipled as we grow in our faith. Lord, you do the work. You bind, heal, resurrect. You heal idolatry and depravity and apostasy. Lord, you do the work this morning in our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we'll take a few minutes to respond this morning. Chelsea's going to be down here on my left. Justin's going to be down here to my right. If you would like to pray, if you'd like to accept Christ, you don't have to come to them to do it. It's a heart thing, not an aisle thing, not a sinner's prayer thing, but it's always great to talk to somebody about it. Two of our deacons, Lee and Kirk, will be in the back if you'd like to pray with them. Maybe you just got something else to pray about. Believer, you want to come and give some stuff up this morning. Repent and return. And, and, and you need to change position to do that, to, uh, physically to show what's going on spiritually in your heart. Whatever your decision this morning is, maybe you want to join the church, conform your life to Christ, whatever it is, now's your time to do it. We're going to sing for a few minutes. Don't let it pass by. Today's the day, now's the time. I don't know what you got planned this afternoon, but it shouldn't stop you from returning to the Lord this morning. Let's stand and let's sing and let's worship Him today.